If you have a driver's license, I think it's safe to say that you have had this experience. As you are driving along the highway, you notice gradually in your rearview mirror a car that is maybe some distance behind you that is gradually catching up to you. Not ready to, to zip by you with blazing fast speed, but obviously going faster than, than you are, and you can tell as it gets closer to you. And then as you see, and you can make out to this vehicle a little bit more, you see that it is a sheriff, a police officer. So you suddenly check your speed, knowing that you were going at least a, a few miles over, and you're inclined to slow down, and then you are a little bit worried because you're wondering if that police car is going to stop up and, and pull up right behind you, uh, almost ride your bumper, turn on his lights, and pull you over. And then there's that feeling of relief when he just continues going on right past you. What is your reaction at that moment? Is it, is it relief that finds you then saying, thank goodness I was really pushing my luck. I'm going to slow down and not only go the speed limit, I'm actually going to go less than the speed limit just to be safe. Or are you empowered to maybe even go a few miles faster than you were because after all, the police officer just went by you and he didn't pull you over, so you're good at least as long as you stay behind him. Similar situation happens in the workplace. Maybe you're taking a little bit longer break than you should be. Maybe lunch is gone past the allotted time, and ah, oh, there comes your, your boss, your manager. You're nervous. You're busted. But then your boss, your manager, continues wherever they're headed, or, or maybe even sits down with you during that longer-than-it-should-be break or lunch and enjoys it with you. After that moment, do you say, boy, I really pressed my luck. I'm not going to do that again. Or do you say, well... I didn't get in trouble. Maybe that's not really a strict rule that needs to be followed. Kids do this all the time, too, as they push the envelope. They know the rules, and then they test to see if mom or dad are going to enforce those rules. And they logically conclude that if those rules aren't enforced, then they don't really count, and we're free to do whatever we want. That happens in a lot of areas of life, but the Word of God this morning warns us that what we are inclined to do when it comes to our secular day-to-day -day living, we dare not apply the same approach to our relationship with God. In other words, maybe a, a nice, succinct, simple way of, of stating it, as we heard in the, the gospel acclamation, is do not confuse God's patience for permission. Paul teaches us that in these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you notice as we're reading through the, the second reading this morning, that section really kind of breaks down into almost three nice even sections. Uh, uh, one third, the first part, talks about really the source of self-security. The second section, the middle section, talks about the success of self-security. And the third section, the last third, talks about the solution to self-security. Now, before we jump right into those verses, just this, this phrase, this word self-security, when we hear that, when, when it hits the ears of religious folks or, or Christians, we tend to probably apply that to those outside of the church, those who are, are convinced that by their own self-righteousness, they're, they're fine, 
they don't really need anything that religion offers them or that some God might offer to them because they're good on their own. And they reason that if there is somebody that they have to answer to at some point, a higher being, that they're doing pretty well in life. They're at least not as bad as so-and-so. And so they're confident that if they have to answer to that higher being, you'll find them doing just fine. That's typically who we associate or, or think of with self-righteousness or self-security and overconfidence uh, from people of the world. But this morning, we have to be very much aware that, that that same danger needs to be on our radar as well. That we don't dare apply those, those examples that I, I gave here just a, a short while ago to our relationship with God to presume that self-security doesn't have anything to do with us as far as our Christian faith goes. And see, that can happen when we treat religion, when we treat our Christian faith as really kind of a set of rules or guidelines, some, some restrictions, things to do and not to do that, that God has really given to us to follow. And so long as we do those for the most part, then God's appeased. Do these things, follow these rules, do what good Christians should do, and then we're kind of free to, to come and go and do as we please with the rest of our lives. It kind of looked like Israel, in the example that Paul pointed out, had reason to be self-secure. I mean, you look at the description that, that Paul gives in that first section of the reading, and it was obvious, there was no doubt about it, that God was in their midst. God was amongst the people uh, of Israel. Not only did he make that evident through the plagues that God had miraculously allowed to happen while they were still enslaved in Egypt, but even the way that God chose to deliver them out of Egypt, parting the waters of the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. And then there was Moses that, that Paul referred to, who clearly was God's representative, that the Lord obviously gave him the ability to perform signs and miracles and wonders. So he was, he was God's right-hand man in their midst. And God even made it very present, very visible, that he was with them through that pillar of cloud by day and that column of fire by night to guide his people in the wilderness. So there was no doubt about it that God was with his people. And then you have what might be one of the most abrupt, blunt statements that totally catches us off guard and in all of Scripture. Everything's going along well, and then out comes the Apostle Paul with verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's kind of like you're when you're watching a television show or a movie and somebody says something blunt or offensive and, and nobody knows how to respond and, and you hear the audible of the, the, the scratching record player, the vinyl record coming to a screeching halt just like that. And it's awkward and nobody knows what to say. Because it seemed the way that Paul was spelling it out here, everything was looking good for the Israelites. In fact, it was, it was like one of those stories that should have ended and they lived happily ever after. But instead, Paul says, and the rearview mirror was cluttered with dead bodies strewn about through the desert, indicating that obviously things were not as they appeared. Now that Paul has our attention, 
Might it be wise for us to do a little bit of self-assessment and say, wait a minute, if those Israelites were so secure in their status before God, is there a danger for us? What are the things that perhaps would cause us to fall into that lull, that that false ideal of of self-security? Well, maybe... Maybe it's, it's that you belong to the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod and, and you know that in the wells, one thing we take seriously is doctrine and teaching. And as long as you are a part of that, you're secure. Or maybe it is your, your flawless, your pristine record of church attendance or participation in Bible class that has you feeling pretty good before God, secure in, in self. Maybe it is the fact that, that you went to our Lutheran elementary school, or bonus points if you graduated from an area Lutheran high school or one of our prep schools, then you're really sitting pretty, aren't you? Maybe it's the security that comes from family members who have been somewhat distant, but as long as they use the word believe or they tell us that they pray sometimes, it doesn't matter really. We haven't asked what they believe anymore or who they're praying to. They haven't been in God's house for months or years, but we feel good because of those words believe and pray. What is it for you that, that potentially runs the risk of falling into that trap of self-security? And realize that whatever it is, is going to carry with it a great potential risk. See, Paul didn't leave us hanging with that statement in verse 5. He actually went in that next section, the the middle third of these verses, to spell out exactly the, I guess we'd have to say, success of self-security. And as you look at those accounts, what was the success of that security that came with the Israelites being convinced that God was in their midst, that they were all good with God, What was the result of their idolatry, their sexual immorality, their testing of God and their grumbling and their complaining? Eh, One day, 23,000 of them died. Another day, venomous snakes came into the camp and and wiped out a good number of them. Another time, uh, a destroying angel wiped out a good chunk of them as well. That was the success of their self-security. And I don't know about you, but if that's the success that comes with it, I will take a hard pass. Here's the real danger for us. Why in our day and age, it's so risky to to be unaware that we can fall into that same trap. Because at the end of the day, when's the last time that that you saw a a group of venomous snakes creep into the sanctuary here and and bite a whole bunch of us? When's the last time that a good crowd of of Christians gathering in God's house were were wiped out? God snapped his finger and, and destroyed all of them, consumed them by fire or sent a destroying angel. Those things don't happen to us. We don't see them happen. And so we wrongly conclude, well, if God didn't do to us today what he did to those Israelites, because clearly they were bad, they were evil, they were wicked, then we must have figured it out. We must have been able to, we must be able to strike the balance that the Israelites could not. Do the right things that keep God happy, go through the right religious motions, and then the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the testing God, the complaining, grumbling, it's all good, he's fine with that as long as you're doing these things. Well, that isn't going to cut it, is it? That's every bit as risky because Paul's whole point in using that example of the Israelites is to tell us to watch out 
This is exactly what he says in verses 11 and 12. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That is Paul's very blunt, straightforward way of saying, if you think it's okay to do the right religious things that give you permission to do and live however you want to, wake up and smell the coffee. Do not ignore the warnings that God established and saw fit to have recorded in the Word of God for us today. Do not take lightly just the fact that that you haven't had the experiences they have because Paul's point is watch out for snakes, watch out for a destroying angel because God is just as able to bring that kind of judgment on his people today who insist on resting in self-security. So knowing the the source of of self-security, looking at ourselves and our behavior and our our religious attitudes and and actions, knowing that it doesn't really leave us with any measurable success, then what is the solution? You know that it's it's not anything that I'm going to tell you to do because that wasn't Paul's solution. In fact, the solution is not found in you. Paul points you, he directs us elsewhere. You know exactly where he points you to, to God. And they're tucked in, kind of almost lost, if you're not careful, in verse 13, are three simple yet powerful words. Paul writes, God is faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't tell you to be more faithful. He doesn't insist that you try harder, that you're close in doing all the right religious things. Just try a little bit harder, take it up a notch, and then you'll be good to go. Then you'll find true success in your self-security and it will be validated. He says God is faithful. Because despite all of those dead bodies strewn about in the wilderness, you know how that story ended up, right? God's people made it into the land that he had promised them. Not because of their faithfulness, but because God is faithful. And even when they established themselves as a nation and the monarchy with all of its ups and downs, a lot more downs than ups, even as they throughout their history turned away from God and were unfaithful to him, what remained true is that God is Faithful. Never turning away from his people. And you have the same proof that God is faithful. The manger in Bethlehem shows that God is faithful. The cross on Calvary shows that God is faithful. The empty tomb of Joseph of Arimathea shows that God is faithful. And it's his faithfulness to you and me that is the only solution, the only antidote to our self-security. God's faithfulness demands that we let go of any security that we would hope to or imagine that we could find in ourselves, any sense of false security that is only going to find the, the rug pulled out from beneath us. And when we know that God is faithful, notice that, that Paul in those closing verses of this section even directs us in how we would deal with temptation. When we are tempted to find security in self, 
No matter whether we succeed because of the the other options or doors that are open to avoid temptation or when we fall flat on our face in in the presence, in the midst of temptation, when we fall mightily and sin ashamedly, God is faithful. He will never withhold his forgiveness. But dear friends, don't mistake his patience with permission. Do not take sin lightly. The more aware we are of God's faithfulness and that his forgiveness is without limit, it works in our hearts a a genuine resiliency, uh, a desire, a, a commitment to not take sin lightly, to stand firm, to struggle against it, To realize that just because I am free, just because I am forgiven is not a license to to wallow in the muck of sin again, but rather it's an encouragement, it's the inspiration, it's the ability that God gives to me through his gospel to stand firmly. So when I fail in the face of temptation, God who is faithful will never fail me. When I fall, God will always be there to catch me with his forgiveness. When I am unfaithful to my good and gracious God, he will never be unfaithful to me. So, dear friends, with that confidence, stand firmly in that assurance. Let go of any self-security and allow all of your assurance, all of your confidence to only rest in your Savior, Jesus. Dear friends, because... God's faithfulness assures you that he has crushed your self-security and God's faithfulness always will. Amen.